This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, a few weeks ago, I asked you guys on social media to go ahead and send me some questions that we were going to be doing a Q&A podcast. So this is our very first Q&A podcast. So we're really, really excited to go through a bunch of different materials. You guys definitely came through. Some of these questions I got were just incredible. Like I didn't get any throwaway questions. And the crazy thing is, is I had a lot of different people send me questions. And these are people from all over the country and all over all kinds of different backgrounds. And no two questions were the same. Like it was really, really incredible. And so you guys asked a lot of really good questions, went over a lot of different topics. So we're going to go ahead and get into the first question here and is what made you start Undaunted Life? Okay. So uh, if you go back to episode one of this podcast, I really go into really a lot of detail as to where Undaunted Life came from. So I would urge you, if you haven't listened to episode one, go ahead and listen to episode one. But but really, it's, it's just an... O- outpouring of a desire in my heart for men to be better and specifically Christian men within the church. Okay. And we've talked a lot about, uh, different things on this podcast, what the church has done well, what the church has done poorly to kind of help and aid this in different ways. And so undaunted life was kind of the answer to the gap that I felt was in the, you know, all the different modern Christian men's ministries that I've seen, ones that I've even been a part of, and even speci- uh, specifically just guys that those ministries were not reaching. Okay. So there's a, there's just a certain, certain type of guy that most church men's things don't really go, go after and they don't really look to find a way to attract these men. And invariably, these men miss out on who Jesus is because they don't like his followers, right? And so uh, that is really the, the main reason for Undaunted was I'm, I'm just going after the hearts of men that are just kind of your not conventional churchmen and that type of a thing. But again, if you want a longer answer to that, go back to episode one of the podcast. All right, next question. How can we expand the reach of this men's ministry? Is it something that can be brought to local churches throughout the world? So this was a question that someone asked on Facebook. And, you know, I've thought a lot about that. Obviously, like uh, for those of you that know me personally, I'm not the type of guy that just does things to do them. And obviously I want to do things that will grow and get better with time and will help a lot of people. And so at the end of the day, I've thought a lot about how this ministry can grow And I'll go ahead and answer, I guess, the second part of that question first, which is, I really don't think that this is going to grow through the local church. Uh, I mean, church leaders won't really like a lot of the things that I'm saying. I mean, go back to episode four of this podcast, Pussies in the Pews. And obviously just the fact that I named it that is going to turn a lot of people in vocational ministry off, right? Um, But the thing about it, at the same time, this is definitely not a secular message. I mean, I could I could make it secular and just make it just about masculinity and, you know, going against the gender revolution or all those different things. But uh, I, I, it's not really meant for the secular crowd either. So it's it's a little bit uh, frustrating on my end to even see where this is going to grow, uh, because I think it needs to happen the most in the church. But really, it's for me to be able to find advocates and people that like Undaunted Life to find advocates uh, within the church that can kind of champion the type of thing that we're doing and the philosophy with which we're espousing, I guess, would be the best way to look at that. And then to go back to the first part of your question, which is, you know, how can we expand the reach of this ministry? I think just for all of you listening to this is share it. And I know a lot of people, whenever you're on social media or on podcasters, like, yeah, share this and share that. And whoever shares this gets a blah, blah, blah or something like I, we're not going to do stuff like that. If you like it, you'll share it. Like at the end of the day, that's how it goes. Like whether it's a restaurant or a podcast or a movie, like if you like it, you're going to share it with people. 
So if the stuff that we do as a ministry is impacting you, this podcast, our devotionals on version, any of the things that we do on our website, then share that around because most guys are not just going to happen onto it and find it. We live in the most distracted culture ever. I mean, TV, uh, you know, ratings across the board are going down just because Netflix, Hulu, and all these different things, YouTube. And so uh, just share it. Just share this stuff around if you enjoy it. And then the second part is to live it. I mean, you guys know how this goes, right? You read a devotional, uh, you read a book, you go to a, some sort of seminar, you hear a, a guest speaker, a pastor, or somebody speak, and you're super jacked up and ready to go. But then you don't make any changes in your life. I mean, we've all done it to a certain degree. Not every one of us has put everything we've ever read or heard into action in our lives. But if you start doing some of these things, if you really start focusing on cultivating spiritual, mental, and physical resilience on a daily basis, people are going to notice. People in your workplace, people that you grew up with, people that you're around a lot, they're just going to end up noticing. So, yeah, man, uh, I really appreciate that question and really just share what we do and live it out, okay? Next question. Do you want to be remembered for being tough or strong? I really, really like this question. So this question actually came from a buddy I went to high school with. And so you hear a lot about those two things, right? Like, you know, do you want to be tough or be strong? And my answer 100% is I would rather be remembered for being tough as opposed to strong. Because again, toughness, I feel like connects to resilience more than strength does, right? Because when you're resilient, it's your ability to bounce back. Yes, strength is a component of that, but toughness is is just something that most of us do have to cultivate because you know this, right? And you know this to be true. A lot of people are just born normal, right? But to be born tough, everyone knows someone who is just born tough. They're like an old leather boot that's been sitting out in the sun for 40 years. They just... Nothing really bothers them. Nothing really hurts them. They're just really, really gritty, resilient people. But for the rest of us, and I I certainly wouldn't put myself in that category of super tough, for the rest of us, we do have to cultivate it. There's this idea in, in modern culture that you're either tough or you're not. Like, well, no. Like, you can be weak and then make yourself strong. The same is true for toughness. Um, and here's the other thing about strength. Strength isn't always going to be there, Right. I mean, just think about it. We're in one of the worst flu seasons we've seen in a long time. So there's a lot of really strong guys out there that just get KO'd by by sickness. And so for a week or two, they're not really strong, right? But you can still work on your toughness. You can still work on your resilience, right? And think about it even right now. Like we got the Arnold Classic coming up, I think, next week or something like that. We're going to see displays of strength that, you know, the world has never seen before. Just the strongest men on the planet doing insane things. But let's fast forward the clock 20 years. Are those guys going to be pushing that same amount of weight? Like, there's no way. There's a 0% chance that any of those guys are going to be pushing that same amount of weight. But there could be a 100% chance those guys are still really, really tough dudes. So, again, if if we're choosing, and I guess this is Q&A podcast, so I do get to choose, I would always rather uh, have somebody look at me and think, man, Kyle, that's that's a tough guy as opposed to Kyle, that's a strong guy. So, good question. Next question. What book are you reading right now? Actually, I'm reading two books right now. So I just did a podcast about Jordan Peterson. I think that was two podcasts ago. So I'm reading his book right now, The 12 Rules for Life, an Antidote to Chaos. So as of the recording of this podcast, that book is number one or number two on pretty much every major every major list of books and book sales around the world. So just an incredible book that's having a large impact. And I'm still about, I'm about a third of the way through that book right now. And it is incredible. Like, 
I'm going to have to read some unbelievable books this year for this not to make it on my best books of 2018 list for sure. So, uh, and the other book I'm reading right now is The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. So the, both of those are The Great Divorce is on our 100 books every modern Christian man should read list on our website. If you just go to undaunted.life backslash book list, you can find that there. And I'm going to have to uh, make room for the Jordan Peterson book because I'm assuming that thing is going to sneak on there by the time I'm done reading it. Okay. Next question. Worldwide, what are the best cultures at initiating boys into men? This is probably one of the most important questions that I was sent. So uh, this one requires like a lot of thought and a lot of thinking. But the, the thing about it is it's kind of simple when you break it down to its basic levels. Okay. So the best cultures at initiating boys into men are the ones with rituals. Okay. These are the ones that have rites of passage. And so the thing about that that's unfortunate is this has almost been stamped out completely in Western societies and really in culture overall. So what we're left with, for the most part, is the more primitive kind of tribal cultures. Those are the ones that do these uh, initiation rites of passage, right? They do these rituals. And here's an interesting thing whenever I was thinking through that, because you know I've read a lot over the years and did, did some more reading this week on different rites of passage from around the world. And none of these communities have any problems with a crisis of manhood, like none of them. So we talk about a lot, and I talk about a lot on this podcast about the crisis of masculinity in the United States and also the crisis of, of fatherless homes, right? We see all the time when, when dad's there, things go better. And I mean that within the household, but also within the community, when there's more dads around, things are better. But we don't hear about in these smaller cultures having these issues of boys staying boys until they're like 30 or 35 years old, like staying with the family and not going out and starting their own thing. Like we just don't hear about that. Um, and, you know, we we see a little bit with different cultures. I mean, the Jewish community, obviously, you can have your bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah and, and, you know, at the age of 13, I believe. And so at that point, you're um, you are. I guess, liable for your sins and, and you're responsible for your for your life as an adult. Um, but there's not really a lot of things in America that would lead to rites of passage that are, and those are just incredibly important. But I do want to share one thing with you because, because it was like horrifying while I was reading it. But basically I was doing some research on rites of passage and I stumbled upon an article at Art of Manliness and it was talking about these eight, there were eight different ones that were just crazy rites of passage. And I'd, I'd heard of some of them, but there was one in particular that I just, I'm going to read it directly as the people over there at Art of Manliness, Brett McKay, as, as he wrote it. And I, cause I just don't want to miss any of the details. So just get ready for this one. So here we go. When an Aborigine boy comes of age, usually around 15 or 16, the tribal elders will lead the boy to a fire and have him lie down next to it. Tribal members surround the boy while singing and dancing. Another group of men called the mourners wail and cry while the circumcision is performed. Okay. So guys, circumcision at the age of 15 or 16. Here we go. The tribal elder in charge of the circumcision sits on top of the boy's chest facing his penis. He pulls up the foreskin and twists it so that it can be cut off. Two men take turns cutting away the foreskin with knives that are that they've imbued with magical qualities. Yeah, I'm sure. The boy bites down on a boomerang as the operation takes place. When the circumcision is complete, the boy kneels on a shield that's placed over the fire so the smoke can rise up and purify his wound. While the boy sits there dazed and in pain, the tribal elders tell him to open his mouth and swallow some, quote, good meat, unquote, without chewing it. The good meat is actually the boy's freshly removed foreskin. 
After he swallowed a piece of his own wiener, <laughs> the, the boy is told that he has eaten his own boy and that it will now grow inside him and make him strong. Now comes the second part of the initiation, the sub-incision. A few months after the circumcision, the tribal elders take the young men again to the fire. An elder sits on the boy's chest and takes a hold of the boy's penis. Again, there are singers and men mourning at the ceremony. A small wooden rod is inserted into the urethra to act as a backing for the knife. The operator then takes a knife and makes a split on the underside of the penis from the frenulum, which is underneath the head of the penis, to near the scrotum. After the sub-incision, the boy stands above the fire and allows his blood to drip into it. From now on, the boy will have to squat when he urinates, just like a woman. In fact, some anthropologists posit, posit that sub-incision ceremony is done to stimulate menstruation, allowing men, or simulate menstruation rather, allowing men to sympathize with females of the tribe. Okay, so, <laughs> rites of passage, right? There's kind of an extreme one. And you would never hear me advocate for that type of rite of passage, but there are cultures out there. And so the guy that sent me this message, thanks a lot for making me go down that rabbit hole. Now I get to share that with all of you. But I, I, I do remember uh, while I was kind of thinking through how I would answer this question, there's an excerpt from a book called uh, Play the Man by Mark Batterson. So a couple of weeks ago, I think that was our, our book of the week that we posted on Instagram. But he talks a lot in that book about rites of passage that he did with, with his son. And so this was a really good quote from that book. So I'm going to go into that now. So here we go. Quote, I believe in baptism by immersion, but not just with water. I also believe in baptism by fire. It's the baptism John the Baptist prophetically pointed to, a baptism in the Spirit, by the Spirit. Without it, we're below average. With it, it's game on. There is also a third baptism, a baptism into manhood. Just as water baptizes, baptism symbolizes our death to self and new life in Christ, the third baptism is a rite of passage from boyhood to manhood. It's a proving ground where mental toughness and physical toughness are tested to their limits. Without the test, a man may never really know for sure if he's man enough. This is what is lacking in our culture in our generation. So that's just a great quote there from Mark Batterson, and he's absolutely right. I mean, if any of you guys did have rites of passage that you went through as boys, I want to know about them. So please email me at info at undaunted.life. Again, info at undaunted.life. Because I certainly didn't, and I don't know anybody in my circle of friends that went through a rite of passage. And they're not insane, you know, because again, you, most of the time you get to just make them up. Because in Christian communities, we don't have like that typical rite of passage. But I've heard about people, um, you know, there were these brothers that both had sons that were about the same age. And they were at the base of a mountain. And at the base of the mountain, they taught these these young boys a whole bunch of things about camping. So they taught them about how to set up their tent. They taught them about how to start a fire, how to make sure they could find fresh water and, you know, how to procure food if they ran out. Just just different things, you know, just basic survivalist type stuff. And then they went on a hunt, hunting or not a hunting trip, rather. They went on a hiking trip. So they hiked all the way to the top of this mountain. And again, if you've done any manner of hiking, normally when you get towards the tops of different mountains, there's not as much coverage, right? There's less trees, less bushes and things like that. So they get all the way to the top. And then they told these boys and these boys were, I don't know, 13 or 14, something like that. They said, well, boys, I hope you were paying attention to everything we said at the base of the mountain because we're going to leave you here. Uh, you know, we're going to go down. So these are the dads are like, we're going to go back down to the vehicle and we expect to see you there by morning. But you have to stay out here all night. 
And so they left the boys there and the dads went back down. So the boys camped and did everything that, that they did. They worked together and kind of stayed there the entire night. They packed up in the morning, came back down the mountain. And if that's where the story ended, it'd be a good enough story. But once they got to the bottom, they actually did a ritual where each dad individually with, with their son, they, they talked to him about the things that they loved about him, the things that were great within their personality, the things that might uh, be struggle points for them, some issues that they're going to need to kind of really deal with and be very, very intentional about and told them, you know, things about this is what a man does. This is what a man doesn't do that type of thing. So that's just one example that a guy just made up on his own. I don't know if he got it from somewhere else, but that's just a great idea for us with, with sons out there. And I don't have any children at this point, but if you have a son, just that is in that age range, can you imagine the impact that would have on a, on a young man? that they know now that I am now a man and I'm responsible for myself and I'm responsible for others and I need to live in a different way. And that's not just something that happens on a weekend on a hiking trip. That is the introduction point to the next several years of development. So I would certainly encourage all of you to do that. And I I think I'm going to do a future podcast just on rites of passage total. So again, if you have any rites of passage that you've heard of, it's something that I'm incredibly interested in. So, uh, you know, you can tweet at me or send me something on Facebook, or just email me and let me know, send me articles, send me your experiences, whatever. So there we go on that one. Next question. How can my wife or girlfriend, or how can a wife or girlfriend help a man become more resilient? And then in turn, how can a man help his woman? So the, the first bit of advice is to the wife or the girlfriend. Okay. And I'm, I'm going to keep it as wives, right? Cause you know, with girlfriends, it's, you know, not, you know, obviously it's not a a uh, arrangement that you have before God. It could be important to you. You could love them, but a little bit different than a wife. So the first thing I would tell the wife is just be supportive. And that sounds so ridiculous and so elementary, but it's, it's completely true. Just be supportive of your husband because the the last thing uh, a man wants, uh, is to be nagged all the time. And so that's kind of the next bit of advice is just don't complain so much. And again, you might be like, oh, you're assuming too many things about me. How can you just assume that I complain? Well, I've seen it, right? I've experienced it myself. And a lot of guys need to be complained at or, or nagged, but you don't want that to continue for very long, right? Uh, you want that to be an environment where you are lifting up your husband, right? And and I guarantee you that's what your husband wants. So uh, again, try not to complain so much. There are battles that you should fight with your husband and things that are important. And I'll get into some of those uh, here in a second, but really try try your best to be an encouragement. And, and with that, um, encourage your husband to do manly things. And I'll, I'll let you define what manly things are, right? I'll let your husband define what that is, right? You know, going to a titty bar, not manly. Okay. So don't, don't take it that far. But if your husband wants to, to go on a weekend trip with the boys, a camping trip, or if he wants to start doing jujitsu, or if he wants to, you know, start, start lifting weights or wants to, you know, learn how to fix the sink or something like that. Don't tear him down because that is a, a moment where he's being fairly open to you. And you could wound him fairly easily. Um, one thing that I talk about a lot is we got a group of guys that get together on Sunday nights at a local MMA school here in Edmond, Oklahoma. And it's kind of like, it's a, a group that gets together. We're all reading a book at the same time. That's the that's why I'm reading The Great Divorce right now, because that's the book we're going over. And we get together and we talk about the book, uh, the section we were supposed to read for about 30 minutes or so. Then we do kind of an interval workout, a fairly intensive interval workout, and then we do some training. We have a guy who's a purple belt, and then we do some no-gi jiu-jitsu training. And it's one of those things where you don't have to have any wrestling background, any grappling experience, or any jiu-jitsu experience. You can just come and get in the room. 
And you would be astonished at the excuses men give for not coming to this, right? Um, it's just, you've heard every excuse for, for uh, under all circumstances. The guy that runs a class is a guy named Rush Schwetman, and he, he's been doing this for like 10 years, and he's heard every excuse in the book. But it's incredible how guys could like not give a crap about their families, but then when you ask them to come and work out and you know kind of learn some martial arts of any kind, all of a sudden they get really, really dedicated to their families. Like, oh, no, I, I got to be really specific about my family time. Like, I don't want to take the time away from the family. And it's like, dude, I know for a fact you played golf twice this week already, and you spent two hours this just to day, you know, working on your fantasy football roster. Like, so it's just one of those times when if your husband brings it up, don't be a wet blanket. Don't be like, oh my gosh, why would you want to do that? What if you get hurt? What, you know, what am I going to do with for dinner tonight? Like, like, don't be that type of person. Okay. Like just be a support to that person. Now, if, if it becomes insane and that's all they want to do and they're going to jujitsu like 10 times a week, yeah, you know, then you can have a conversation, but try your best to encourage your husband to do manly things. And here's the other part. And this is probably the most, you know, specific and important advice I could give to a woman is do not accept weakness or laziness in your husband. Do not accept it. Okay. Again, I'll, I'll echo what Matt Chandler says, but men were not made for comfort and couches, but so many men in my life, a lot of my friends, that's what they look forward to. They look forward to, you know, that two or three days when they can go, go take a trip somewhere, go to the lake or something like that and just sit around and drink and do nothing. It's just like, uh, like, why would that be the number one thing you would want to do in your life? Sit around and do nothing. It's insane. It's insipid. It's ridiculous. Women, you have a lot of control over us. I know that's not surprising. Like you can do a lot of things to, to get your man encouraged and ready to go. And you know what I'm talking about, but if you accept weakness in your man, he will continue to be weak. It's, it's literally a direct line of causation. Okay. If you allow your man to be lazy, he will continue to do things that make him lazy. Right. And then it's going to be kind of a, kind of a cyclical process for you. Then you're just going to be mad at him all the time because he's not doing things that he should be doing. Do not accept weakness or laziness. And if your man bucks at it, who cares? Keep going after him. You do not accept it. Okay. And now I'll get to the other part of the question, which was, you know, men, how can you help your woman be more resilient? And the very first thing I would say to you would be the same. I would say to the ladies is be supportive. Like so many guys are just not supportive of the things that their, their ladies do. They just, they don't want to support them. They don't want to give them the same amount of effort and intentionality. So guys be supportive. The other thing would be encourage toughness without being domineering. Okay. So yes, Regardless of what, you know, modern gender studies professors would tell you, there are major differences between men and women, okay? There are major differences emotionally, physically, between men and women. But that does not mean that men get to be tough and women get to be whatever they get to be. Women can be tough as well, and we can encourage that. So that's something that I do with my wife, is my wife, obviously, she does not take well to a domineering, do this right now type of an environment. She never has, okay? But I can still encourage her to be tough. I can still encourage her to be resilient in all different areas of her life. So if she's, if she's down in her business, you know, for a week or two or something like that, I can be encouraging and be supportive of her, but not let her wallow in it and be like, Oh my gosh, I understand. It's like, no, I mean, you can fix this. Like you can be tough. You, you'll get, you'll get through this. This is just a bad week. Don't make it a bad month because then it'll turn into a bad quarter, which could turn into a bad year. Like we got this. So encourage toughness without being domineering. And then also set the standard set the standard for your household and live the example, right? 
So, you know, some people have gone through something called family ID. That's where you kind of like make a mission and a vision statement for your family and you kind of set up what your core values for your family are. That's like setting a standard. Like this is how the Thompsons are going to react in these situations. Okay. That's, that's the standard you set up for the household. But again, you can set it and you can put it up on the wall or you can have it on the background of your, of your phone or something like that. But if you don't live out the example, it's just words, right? So set the standard and live the example, right? That's one of the greatest things that you could do for your wife. And I mean, when you do that, you display how resilience helps the whole household. Because again, you know, we hear this about, you know, modern patriarchal Christianity and all this toxicity within masculinity, which, you know, I'll clearly talk about it in future podcasts. You hear about all those things, but have you ever been in a home where the husband is really, really dutiful and really prudent with everybody and he's he's invested in all the relationships within the household? Did it feel like the wife was oppressed? Did it feel like she couldn't operate within her normal self? Do you feel like she was operating at less than what she was capable of? No, that's not what happens. Again, when the man is leading, when the man is providing headship in an appropriate manner, everyone around them, everyone in the family unit tends to do better. Like... If you look at it statistically speaking, anthropologically, you know, if you look at it any way, it's always positive. So there's just a little bit of advice for wives and for husbands. Okay. Moving on to the next question regarding fitness. What are the top three mistakes you believe men make in today's society? Any suggestions or tricks you have insert here? Okay. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to do four. Okay. I tried to narrow it down to three, but there was really four I wanted to talk about. So the first thing is that men just don't exercise nearly enough. Again, may seem really simple, but it is, you know, you'll have a guy who will go to the gym once and then he'll find excuses for the next two weeks. And then the next time he goes back, he's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sore and gosh, I'm so tired and my cardio is so bad and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, because you haven't gone to the gym in a week or two or a month or a year, it's bound to happen. So, so you just have these guys that will just do a little bit. They'll do a little 30 minute workout once or twice a week. And they're just astonished that they're not strong and that they don't have good cardio and that they're not flexible or whatever the thing is. It's because they're not working out nearly enough. Men, you should literally at a minimum be working out four days a week. And I mean, working out hard, right? Like in four days a week is not that much. Like on a normal week, I'm working out either six or seven days in a week. Okay. And you don't have to be extreme. I know everyone's got a different schedule, but you need to get in more time. Okay. You in 30 minutes, you can get in an insane amount of work. Okay. So guys just don't exercise nearly enough. Second problem I see is that we focus too much on one aspect of fitness. Like I see that a lot. So you got guys that are like, I'm a runner. So they just run. They don't lift. They don't really focus on flexibility. They, they don't really do anything else. They're a runner. So they're focused pretty much strictly on cardio. And then you got your like, you know, gym bros, right? You know, traps that go up to their ears and like super chest and they probably skip leg day too. But then you have those guys that they just focus on strength, but they have no sprint ability. They have no cardio ability. They can't touch their toes. Um, then you have, you know, your yogis, you know, those guys that are just, they stretch all the time, but then they don't focus on strength training. They don't really get much cardiovascular from doing yoga. If you focus too much on one aspect of fitness, you will pretty much just be good at that one thing. Like you cannot run your way to having a really, really strong chest. You know what I mean? Like you can't like bicycle your way to being like incredibly flexible in your Achilles and your calves. Like, it's just not something that you can really do. So again, we focus too much on one aspect of fitness. Um, the third thing that I see as a problem is we don't really have anything that we're exercising for, right? 
a lot of men, they don't have something that they're exercising for. They don't have a goal in mind, right? Because you know how it goes. You like you have someone who's just kind of a couch potato, and then all of a sudden someone's like, hey, I need you to run a 5K. And then all of a sudden it's couch to 5K, right? Like within a month or something like that because they've got something to train for. Maybe they've got a bunch of buddies that are getting together to do a, a church league, you know, basketball league or something like that. Uh, then they're getting in shape because they know they're going to have to run up and down the court for, you know, 20 minutes at a time or something like that. So have something that you're exercising for. Like that's something that's very, very important for most people because if you don't have something that you're exercising for, you may not exercise. Now, I'm, I'm a little bit different that... I just exercise for life. Like people ask me, you know, Kyle, why do you train so hard? Even before I started doing jujitsu, I just train for life. Like I want to be ready to go in pretty much any situation. So if someone asks me to play, you know, two games of basketball back to back today, I can do that. Softball tomorrow. Great. Jujitsu the day after that. Wonderful. If I need to run a 5k the day after that, that's great. But it's because for me, I focus on pretty much all areas of fitness. So I do focus on my flexibility. I do yoga. I stretch before and after every, every lift. I do lift for strength. Uh, I do a lot of cardio. I also do cardio for explosiveness. So a lot of sprint work, those types of things. So just make sure that you're set up in all different aspects. And then the last thing that I've seen, I'm going to add a fourth one is guys just don't focus enough on nutrition. Like it's just not something that they do. So you'll have these guys that work out a lot. They'll work out five or six days a week but they're just not hitting their goals like physically, athletically, like they're just not really hitting it in the way that they would really like to. And it's because their diet is garbage. So it's like, for the most part, if you drink beer and eat nachos and chicken wings, it's probably not going to be great for your output. And, and it doesn't take a whole lot guys, like develop whatever you need for your macros, uh, figure out how much protein you need for your body weight and the things that you need to fuel yourself and just go for it. And here's the thing on nutrition. I'll, I'll probably have to do a future episode just on nutrition. There's so much misinformation out there and there's so much information that changes by the year. I mean, look at it one year, egg yolks are good. The next year, egg yolks are bad. The year after that, egg yolks are good again. Like it's just, it flips back and forth. And there's a lot of trends that happen where like these things come and and they're really popular for a little bit, but then there's really no backing for it. So I like, I I got a lot of buddies that are doing keto right now and the evidence, like the, the lab based evidence on the effectiveness of keto is really right now. It's anecdotal at best. It's like, you know, people that have done it, that are like, oh man, I made this extreme life change when it came to my diet and this is how it's worked for me. But in the lab, the results are, are not quite as convincing, right? No matter if you listen to Joe Rogan or someone like that talks about it on YouTube, you know, it, it does, it's not a fix all for everybody. I'm not saying don't do keto. I know people that do keto that do fine on it, like after their body readjusts, but everybody is different. Every individual physical body is different, right? So the big thing for all of you is find a diet that works for you, that allows you to have the fuel you need to get through the other developmental things within your fitness, right? So again, most of the time, if you're doing a lot of working out, so if you're working out five or six or seven days a week, you're probably not going to eat a lot of Doritos. Like it's just going to be something where your body is going to be craving nutrition. And so that's when you start getting into the lean red meat, you get into, you know, uh, other like healthy fats, avocados and coconut oil, and then your body and you, you're going to throw spinach and broccoli in there and your body's going to be like, yeah, I need more of that. So again, people don't exercise nearly enough. Dudes do not, they focus too much on one aspect of fitness. Uh, they don't have anything they're exercising for. And the fourth thing, they don't really focus enough on nutrition. So good question there on fitness. Next question. Is the church detouring men from a discipleship relationship with Jesus? Yes. Yes, they are. Again, go back to episode four of this podcast. Just even in the question, when you say relationship, 
it, it causes an issue in the guy's brain. Okay. Because you need to have a discipleship with Jesus, not a relationship with Jesus. Okay. The modern church has done this, this weird job of turning God into a genie and Jesus into like a boyfriend that will protect us as he cuddles us. Like that's not the God that we serve. That's not who Jesus was. Again, go back to episode four, listen to that. It's, it's a great podcast that goes really deeper into that. And again, I don't want to seem like an anti-church guy. I'm certainly not, but a lot of modern day churches, a lot of this kind of, um, again, the Ted talk with the Bible verse revolution and all the, the super, uh, worshipy, uh, places that you can go and do non-denominational church. They've kind of turned it into this type of thing. Like what is your relationship with Jesus? Like even old school churches still use that vernacular, the relationship with Jesus part. So yes, churches are detouring men specifically because one, they're not attracting them and two, they're not keeping their attention. And part of it because is because modern day church is sim- seemingly made for women. So great question there. Moving on to the next one. My pastor is a woman. Should I change churches? <laughs> so thanks a lot to whoever sent this question. Obviously, they're trying to get me in trouble, but uh, I'm glad. I'm glad you send questions like this because it causes me to think uh, about how I can specifically uh, lead through that and, and think through all the different possibilities of that. And let's just let's just go from the beginning here and say there are so many resources out there on this exact topic. You know, you, you talk about these different churches that are ordaining female ministers uh, and female clergy and female pastors and all these different things. And there's kind of a liberal and conservative view of that. And there's like a, a biblical and non-biblical view of that. And so the thing about it is, is it's not terribly black and white, but it kind of is like, I, I hope I'm explaining this well, and I haven't even gotten into the explanation yet, so I'm sure I'm not. But um, there are a few things that, that I've taken from Scripture that I don't feel like I'm taking out of context that would lead me to answer this question that, yes, you should change churches if your lead pastor is a woman, okay? So I'm kind of specifically talking about, like, the lead pastor, the one delivering the sermons, because I know one thing that's interesting in modern churches is pretty much everybody that has a job in the church has pastor in the title, it's kind of a weird thing. It's like you are the, uh, you know, Sunday schools pastor. You are the missions pastor. You are the coffee and donut pastor. Like it's just, it's kind of a weird deal, even though they're not really part of the pastoral ministry part of the church. Anyway, it's kind of a side deal, but there's a couple of verses that I think speak to this directly. And even within these verses, you find a bunch of different camps about what is it actually saying and what do they mean? But I'm just going to share those with you and then let you go down the rabbit hole and tell me what you think after that. So fair enough. Let's just operate with that. Okay. The first is first Timothy two, and we're going to go verses 11 through 14. So here we go. Let the world, let the woman learn in silence with all subjugation or sorry, I'm going to start over. <laughs> let the woman learn in silence with all subjection rather But I do not allow a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Okay? So within that scripture, there's kind of two schools of thought, because obviously the Apostle Paul wrote that. He wrote it to his mentee, Timothy. Um, And the two schools of thought is that, number one, Paul was kind of making a declaration forever. You know, that, that women... 
uh, should not be able to teach because, again, they were specifically talking about what was going on within the churches. And the second is that Paul was making a temporary declaration because at this time, Timothy was working in Ephesus. Uh, some of the women were kind of distracting things within within the service, the different services that were going on down there. So some think that Paul was just making a temporary suggestion to Timothy like, hey, let's suspend their ability to talk within the service um, you know, just for the time being type of thing. But then there's another passage that Paul wrote, and this is in 1 Corinthians 14. We're going to look at verses 33 through 35 here. So here we go. As, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husband at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Okay? So that's obviously, that's very specific language, and even if you go back and look at the Greek, which I cannot read Greek, but I can read different commentaries of people that are like Greek experts, it's it's fairly straightforward, the language being used here. And then also... Um, if you are familiar with some of the stuff we've done, we do have a version devotional, Undaunted Life does, uh, and it's a five-day devotional on marriage. It's called Undaunted Life and Undaunted Marriage, so you can find that on the version Bible app. And on day one of the devotional, we kind of go into this exact subject because the, the modern-day church has kind of used— They've used some things in this area incorrectly, and so I wanted to kind of set the record straight and, you know, where it would be more helpful for husbands and for wives. And one of the first things that I looked at there— was the scripture 1 Corinthians eleven three? So this is a few chapters before the last uh, scripture that I read, but it says this, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Okay? So that kind of goes into my next scripture, which is again from Paul, and this is in Ephesians 5, uh, and this is verses 22 through 33. So I'll go ahead and read that here as well. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay. So the thing that's very interesting about all these different passages is Paul seems to be fairly consistent in his ideology about the, the setup between man and woman. Okay. And the two things that are consistent, number one is that he sees them as being equal because Jesus and God see them as being equal. Okay. There's not like Imago day 1.0 and then Imago day 1.1. And the 1.1 is the woman. Like there's no, there's no subjective quality to saying something like that. Okay. So we're equally made in the Imago day, but we are given different roles again, equal, but different roles. Okay. And again, when you use the word um, head in the Bible, so, you know, talking about, you know, the head of the wife as her husband, we're talking about authority. So you you have authority over that person. 
But even if you have authority over someone, does that does not place you ahead of them in the in the pecking order with God. So again, think about it in terms of your kids. That's normally easier for people to think about. Yes, you have authority over your children, but they're not any less created in the image of God. You know what I mean? Just because they're your children. They're, they're the exact same as you, right? But you are the head of them. You have authority over them while they're under your care. So again, when, when we look at this, and again, day one of our devotional, the, the Undaunted Marriage devotional, goes into this much in much more detail. But just because men have authority over women does not mean that they're not important, okay? I want to make sure I drive that home. But bring this back around to the original point that, in my opinion— with all the things that I've read and all the things that I understand, you know, with the exegetical explanations of how all this comes down within scripture, that I think is inappropriate for a woman to be a lead pastor. I do think that is absolutely inappropriate. I'm open to being proved wrong. Okay. There's obviously a much more liberal, uh, you know, decision that is being made by a lot of different, uh, organizations are looking at something and they're getting a different explanation than the one that I just gave you. And, you know, it's open for debate to a certain degree. Um, but I, I tend to fall on the other side of that issue. I don't think that it is appropriate. And so if you have a female that is the lead pastor at your church, I would just ask, what else are they being fairly liberal on? What else are they taking kind of poetic license with uh, within the church? I would be very, very concerned about that. So I am in no way implying that if the, a woman is leading the church, that the, the church is going to be you know doing things incorrectly in all these other areas. But again, if they're relaxed on their understanding of the scripture in one area, it could very well lead to being relaxed in other areas as well. So tough question, but that's the answer I would give. All right, next question. What is your Christian's response to Trump's initiative on building a wall? Okay, so uh, one thing that I will just go ahead and throw out there from the very beginning is even as a registered Republican, I had two opportunities to vote for Donald Trump. I'm a registered Republican in Oklahoma, so I had the primary and then the general general election. I chose not to vote for Donald Trump two times. Okay, so in all honesty, I voted for uh, Senator Rubio out of Florida. I voted for him for president in the primary here in Oklahoma. I encouraged everyone else to do so. Uh, He did not take the state. Obviously, I'm pretty sure Ted Cruz took the state, Um, but. I didn't vote for Donald Trump in the uh, general election either because I did not feel like Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton met even my basic standards of human decency and integrity. So I just really could not uh, see myself voting for either one of them. But when people talk about the wall, it's always a very interesting subject and, and it can really split people down two different areas. But I would ask people that think that Trump's wall initiative is anti-Christian. I would ask them if they lock their doors at night. Like, do you lock your doors? If you have a gate on your backyard, is that closed at night and and even during the day? Do any of you live in a gated community? Like, it's kind of that type of mindset. You know, is that unchristian then? Because what if someone wants to come into your house just to sleep, but they come in in the middle of the night or even in the middle of the day? You know, are you trying to keep those people out here? I mean, here's the thing about America, guys. We were founded on Judeo-Christian principles. So there's kind of this revisionist history thing going on where it's like, nah, the founders weren't Christians. Uh, they believe this and they believe that. And it, and it's, it's really nonsense. We were founded on Judeo-Christian principles, and it's still our foundation as a country, but we're not that nation anymore. Like, what about our modern law and the modern way that we operate, even culturally, would make you think that we still operate on Judeo-Christian principles? I mean, we're probably closer than any other nation on the planet, but gosh, you just can't say that we're still that country, right? But at the end of the day, a wall is for protection, right? The walls of your home are for protection, protection from people, protection from animals, protection from the elements, those types of things. Legal immigration is for the betterment of quality of life, okay? 
So if somebody wants to immigrate to another country, they're likely doing it because they're not having a good go in their current country. That like that's the main reason why people legally immigrate into different places. So the wall that Donald Trump is wanting to build, again, I'm not going to get into all the differences about, you know, the budget and how can it be built and is it even going to be effective because that's not what this podcast is for, but a wall is for protection. If we feel like uh, our American citizens are not being protected and that's what the president wants to do, he's more than welcome to to suggest that and Congress can debate it and they either pass it or they don't. They either fund it or they don't. Okay. I mean, again, this is kind of a render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render under God to what, what is God's. You know, this this country is operating under the purview of God. Like we're not doing things that are outside of his his presence. But at the end of the day, like we don't have to do things strictly from a from a Christian biblical standard. And I think we can absolutely defend ourselves. And that's what some people think is a way that we can defend ourselves is to build a wall. So there you go. So uh, next question. Here we go. Don't all roads lead to God? And he was basically talking about, you know, the roads being different faiths. So obviously this is an incredibly ridiculous statement, but this is a statement that a lot of us have heard. You know, hey, you know, all religions are pretty much the same. I mean, we've all heard that, but there's kind of an easy proof that that makes that statement ridiculous. And the proof is, is just take, take two religions that you've heard of before and then just ask one central question and see where they fall on it. So, well, let's just do an example. So let's look at uh, Christianity and Judaism. Okay. And let's just compare the two on their thoughts on Jesus only. Okay. So Christians obviously think, obviously think Jesus is the Messiah. He's the savior. He's the son of God. Jews do not. They saw Jesus as a rabbi, a prophet. And then they also saw him as a heretic and they pretty much got him killed. Right. So even on one particular subject, even though that subject is gigantic and being Jesus, Jews and Christians can't seem to, you know, see eye to eye on that. Jews think that the Messiah has not come yet. So, do all roads lead to the same place? I mean, J- Judaism and Christianity certainly don't lead to the same place. Well, let's look at Christianity and Islam and let's keep it on the same thing. Let's keep it on the subject of Jesus. We know how Christians feel about Jesus within Islam. Jesus is in the Quran. I don't know if you knew that, but Jesus is described in the Quran as a prophet. But uh, people within the Muslim religion, they believe that Jesus didn't die on the cross. I think it's called a swoon theory or something like that. They don't believe Jesus actually died on the cross, right? And some of them think that, you know, he his body was, you know, transfixed with someone else's body. It's kind of a complicated thing, but they do not think Jesus is the Messiah at all. So if you look at Islam and Christianity, do both of those roads lead to the same place? No, not at all. Look, look at Buddhism and Christianity. We'll look at Buddhism and Christianity. So we obviously know about Christianity, but let's look at being and the afterlife. So just the state of being in the afterlife. Buddhism basically thinks that the mind is an illusion, right? That we're not actually here. We're not actually operating. And that the ultimate thing that you can do with your mind is to just completely unplug and disconnect, right? That, and there, there, there is no afterlife. Like you can, you can seek for nirvana and, and get there, but then that's pretty much where it ends. How in the world does that relate with, in any way to Christianity? And guys, I've just named four of the major religions we haven't talked about Hinduism, Sikhism, like any of those different things. So this all roads lead to faith thing is just nonsense. Uh, there was a buddy of mine recently that he and I were doing lunch and I was kind of walking him through some things because he's kind of stuck somewhere between being an atheist and an agnostic. And, uh, he was like, you know, I feel like you've given me a really good idea of what Christianity is all about. Now I feel like I need to go learn about everything else. And I said, you know, I, I understand why you would think that way. But I said, basically if the central figure of my religion, Christianity is BS. 
if the whole story of Jesus is not real, if the gospels are fabricated and fable, then yeah, after you figure that out, then go look at everything else and then you can kind of compare and contrast. But if it's not, like if it's real, if it actually happened, if it's historically significant, and if you believe in it, then that's where you start. It's okay to learn about other religions and hear about how other people think because that allows you kind of an inroad into speaking to them and evangelizing to them. But you start where you need to start. And really it's, you know, who is the person of Jesus? So no, all roads do not lead to God. Not all different faiths lead to the same place. Okay. Next question. Is there ever a time God would want us to kill another human? Again, very tough question. Very interesting question. And my initial reaction is that no, I don't think there is ever a time when God would want us to kill another human. And I guess I explained that, that God still has a perfectionist or or I guess a perfection mindset, right? Because God created the world that we lived in, in Genesis one and two, right? That's the world that God created. Everything was in perfect balance and perfect order. But where we live now is post Genesis three. We live in a world where sin has entered and that's all there is to it, right? But I think there are some hints in scripture as to what God and and what Jesus would say about self-defense, okay? I want to make sure I make that declaration clear that I want to talk about self-defense. So in Exodus 22, uh, and I'm going to be looking at verses 2 and 3, it says this, If a thief is caught breaking in at night and is struck a fatal blow, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. But if it happens after sunrise, the defender is guilty of bloodshed. Okay, so what this is basically looking at is it's looking at two things. It's our basic right as humans to have property, to, to own property, and also to defend it. Those are the two things, to own property and to defend it. But it's also telling us about the, the need to not be so quick to end a life, right? So uh, I don't know that you could take this specifically literally, but if someone broke into your house during the day, they're probably not surprising you. You probably heard them breaking in. So it's kind of instructing you not to take a fatal blow if it's not really necessary. Okay. Um, and usually around this point of the argument, someone will say, well, didn't Jesus say to turn the other cheek? And and they're obviously referring to Matthew five. Um, but when Jesus was talking about turning the other cheek, he was talking about that in, in terms of kind of like personal offenses or someone like sliding you or slandering you, something like that. He wasn't talking about self-defense because the same Jesus in Luke 22 was talking about if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Okay, so Jesus kind of knew that there would be a time that his followers would need to to defend themselves, that they would be under threat of some kind. And he was upholding their right to self-defense. And so I just want us to make sure that we're being very specific and and I talk to people about it like this because they ask me, you know, how does how does you being a concealed carry guy, how does that you know align with what what God says and those types of things? The thing is, is um, if you're defending yourself, that's very different than if you're being the aggressor against someone else. You know what I mean? Like if you're being aggressive towards someone and you hurt them, uh, that that becomes a, a much larger issue than if somebody is attacking you or your family or your property or something like that. And you defending yourself and defending that. And sometimes that defense comes with lethal lethal force. It's just kind of the way it is. All right, next question. What are the best resources for at-home or garage workouts? Mixing strength training and cardio, okay? So I'm obviously a huge advocate of at-home gyms. I have a home gym. Um, and I'll, I guess I'll kind of describe to you what I have in my home gym. So I've got 
some of the essentials, what I would call home gym essentials. So I've got a power rack, and on that power rack, I've got two different pull-up bars. There's a, a, just a regular pull-up bar, and then I've kind of got a fat bar, so it kind of works your forearms and hands uh, a lot more. I've got some adjustable dumbbells, so it's kind of those, uh, I don't forget what brand they are, but basically you can adjust them. There's some that go from like 5 pounds to 90 pounds, and then there's some that go from like 5 pounds to like 52 and a half pounds. Those are fantastic. It keeps you from having to have a, a whole big rack of dumbbells and taking up all that space in your garage. And then uh, I have a barbell and rubber weights. So uh, whatever amount of weight that you would need to where you can still do a good workout, whatever it is that you're needing to do. And then a bench. So you can use the bench for a lot of different ways and make sure it's an adjustable bench so you can do an incline or or maybe even a decline if you want to do it. So those, those are what I have in my home gym, and those are what I would think would be essentials. And some other just extra things, I've got a heavy bag in there, so sometimes my cardio, I'll do a heavy bag workout, so I'll do 20, 25 minutes on a heavy bag. Um, so I'll do just like kickboxing on that. I've got, you know, I've got dip bars that I can put on the power rack. I've got a jump rope, different things like that. Um, but here's the thing, guys, is YouTube is like an incredible resource for this. So let's say you're like, okay, I want to get in an insane core workout an at-home core workout. Literally, go to YouTube and type in insane at-home core workout. And probably like the first five or six videos are all going to be super intense, like really, really good stuff. And a lot of these people are professionals. They, they train athletes. So YouTube's a great thing. Um, if you want to pay for some different things, a lot of the Beachbody things are really, really fantastic. P90X3, uh, all those are 30-minute workouts. So it kind of takes away the excuses that a lot of guys have in terms of uh, they don't have enough time to do different workouts. Uh, Insanity is a good one. That one's basically strictly focused on cardio. But the thing about a home gym, guys, is you do not need an elliptical machine or a treadmill to get your cardio in. Like we do not have that in my house. And especially during the winter or if it's like, you know, going crazy outside, like I don't do a lot of cardio outside, but you can just do a hundred burpees on the floor of your house and get a lot of cardio. Like you can do videos online. You can do, um, you know, like I said, different burpee workouts or different, like just run in place type workouts to get a really, really good workout. in. that, that's another reason why I have a jump rope. Like a jump rope is a really good way that, you know, you do 15 minutes on a jump rope. Like you're really going to be sweating. So those are some really good things for you all, you all to do. And then also on Instagram, uh, every Tuesday we post a workout in the morning. It's kind of the workout of the week and every single one of those, uh, pretty much you just use what you have in your house. Like, I don't think I've had a single weight that I've used in any of those videos yet. It's just like, these are things that you can do in and around your home. You might be running on the street or in the backyard, or you might be doing things in the garage or in, you know, a spare bedroom or something like that. But there are so many resources out there. And again, for you guys, just go out and search for them. Like you have supercomputers in your pockets, right? Like just get on Google get on YouTube and you can find some really, really good stuff. All right. Next question. What are the top three things at home that keep your marriage healthy and happy? Fantastic question. So these are the three things that came to mind first. And the first is that you have to communicate even when you don't want to. Like you just have to. And I know most guys don't want to sit and chat about their feelings or about how things are going. But communication really is the key for what your wife needs. She needs to know where you're at mentally. Like she needs to know where you feel like you're at on your finances, on on your relationship overall, on your job. Like, and when you communicate about those things, you're able to kind of take charge of the conversation and, and really help send your your life in a certain direction, right? And in your marriage in a certain direction. Like I've never really seen a great marriage. And you know when you see one, right? You know those people in your life where you're like, man, they got a great marriage. All those people communicate. They communicate really, really well with one another. That doesn't mean they communicate perfectly, but they do communicate 
very, very well. So you have to communicate even when you don't want to. The second is you have to make sex a priority. Okay. And again, I know I got a lot of hallelujahs out there from the guys, especially if you're listening to this with your wife, you're like, yeah, see, see, so don't elbow your wife guys. But if sex isn't a priority, the, the stupid monkey brain that most men have will send them in the other directions of the things that you don't want them to go into. So pornography, um, just, you know, voyeurism, you know, having affairs, those types of things. So no, but I'm not saying those are the woman's fault, but when sex isn't a priority at home, men will tend to kind of slake their lust with other things. So, um, normally people that have the most healthy sex lives are the ones that have, have sex often with their spouse. Okay. And this is kind of a weird subject because most guys don't even talk about this with other guys. Like, you know, some women, I guess they talk about this a little bit with one another, but dudes aren't just sitting around going like, Oh, well, you know, and I'm not talking about like dude bros, like guys like, Oh man, I slayed so many chicks last weekend. Like not those dudes, like real dudes, like your foxhole guys, like most guys don't sit around and talk about how healthy their sex lives are because, you know, if it's not going well, they don't want to seem like less of a man. But again, if you want to have a happy and healthy marriage at home, make sex a priority. And the third thing I would tell you is you have to deliver love in the right language. So obviously I'm talking about uh, the five love languages type of thing. And so I'll see if I can say these off the top of my head, but it's physical touch, acts of service. Uh, shoot. This is embarrassing. Physical touch, acts of service, words of affirmation. You know what? I'm going to Google this while y'all are sitting here. That's embarrassing. It, that book is on the, uh, the, the 100 books that every modern Christian man should read list. But so please hold five love languages. Boom. There's seriously people like screaming at me right now. Like you moron. Why didn't you just look this up before? I know. I know. Let's see. Wikipedia. You are not helping. All right, here we go. Uh, physical touch, quality time, gifts, words of affirmation, and acts of service. Good grief. That was ridiculous. Anyway, so if you have not heard of the five love languages, I just did a very piss poor job of selling it to you. But essentially the thing is, is how you receive love is not necessarily how your spouse receives love. Okay. So let's say for you, you are a words of affirmation person. So you love the attaboys. You love people patting you on the back or patting you on the butt saying, man, you did a really good job or gosh, you're just, you're so good at that or something like that. Like that's what you want. And let's say that's how you communicate love to your wife. Gosh, babe, you're just so great. That meal was wonderful and blah, blah, blah. It could work out if that's her primary love language. But what if her primary love language is quality time? So you're thinking that you can just do a little quick drive-by at a girl, like, oh, great job, great job with dinner, but she just wants to sit and chat with you for about a half hour, about nothing in particular, right? So if you're not delivering the right kind of love in the right type of language, it's going to be an issue. And for a lot of guys, like it's like a major explosion in their brain whenever they finally figure this out, that crap, this whole time... I've been loving my wife by giving her gifts and all she's wanted is, you know, a physical touch and not always sexual touch, right? Just, you know, caressing her back as you're walking by her or, you know, rubbing her shoulders or, you know, touching her feet or something like that. Like I, it's just different for every couple. And if you haven't taken the five love languages quiz, you guys have to do it again. The book's kind of dopey, but the concept is rock solid, rock solid guys. So, uh, there's plenty of resources out there for you to be able to take that test and take it with your spouse as well. And then you'll be able to love each other better. So again, you have to communicate, you have to make sex a priority and you make sure you, that you're delivering love in the right language. Okay. Well, guys, here we go. We got our last question here, so let's get into it here. What mindset would you suggest the college student have who is about to embark upon his journey both as a professional and as a man? 
Obviously, it's a very well thought out question. I'm, I'm assuming this guy has a, a guy in his life or maybe he himself is about to embark on that. And so I did a lot of thinking there and there were three things I came up with. And the first thing is that the dumbest advice you could ever get is to, quote, follow your heart, unquote. Like when I hear people say that, I was like, do you have any idea about the heart of man? Like we talked about that a little bit on the gun podcast, you know, one episode ago on episode 10. But if you follow your heart, it's going to lead you in some very wicked and depraved areas. Like it's just going to lead you down those paths, right? And so when you tell an 18-year-old whose prefrontal cortex of their brain is like seven years away from being fully developed, just follow your heart. It's like, what kind of a moron would say that? Like that's really, really dumb advice. And the second bit of advice that I would give is pretty much the second dumbest advice you could ever get is to, quote, do what makes you happy, unquote. And I deal with this as as a professional. So I'm 31 years old and I deal with this with other professionals and I'm kind of helping them with their career paths and things like that. Is they're like, yeah, I'm just not really happy in my current job. And I think doing something like this would make me more happy. And I'm like, happy? What in the world do you mean by that? So happy kind of runs the same gamut. Happy like, oh, I found 20 bucks in my pocket. Happy. Oh, my wife's pregnant with our second child and the you know everybody's healthy. Happy. It's all in kind of the same continuum. And I wonder why people look for happiness. Happiness is so fleeting. So I I don't really understand why people seek for that so much. I I would tell you seek fulfillment. Like don't, don't do the do what makes you happy thing. Seek fulfillment because there are days where you are fulfilling your, your duty to society and humanity and to God by doing something that doesn't necessarily make you happy. Maybe it's just a duty that you're having to do, right? So again, do what makes you happy is really, really stupid advice. And the last thing I would say to this person is choose substance, like always choose substance. Okay. There's so much bad advice out there on pretty much every subject on the planet. And most of these things are not substantive. Okay. So even look at modern arguments where people are like picketing and, you know, doing these things on social media and they're not using logic or reason. It's just like, Most of the things that they're saying are based on memes or based on feelings or based on emotions, and they're not really based in any type of reality. They're not substantive. So the temptation for someone going into college is to go in all these different directions that are not going to lead to a positive outcome, okay? Whether that's personal, uh, you know, outside the classroom or inside the classroom, okay? So for someone about to embark on that journey as a professional and as a man, don't follow your heart. That's ridiculous. Don't do what makes you happy. That's equally as ridiculous and choose substance. Always, always choose substance. Okay. So guys, before I let you go, we're going to do a quick resilience boost. Again, as you know, by now we are a men's ministry. Our mission is cultivating manly resilience and specifically by providing content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So today I'm going to do a couple of little mental resilience things. I got a couple of articles I'd like for you to read. Uh, Again, I, all these questions made me think about a lot of different subjects, but it made me really, really think about these rites of passage thing. And I just want to encourage you again, if you have any information on rites of passage, please send it over to me, info at undaunted.life. But there's two articles I'd like for you to read. The first one is where I read that insane thing about the Aborigines, but it's the eight interesting and insane male rites of passage from around the world. So uh, a link to that is in the bo- in the description of this episode, rather. And also, there's a National Geographic um, article that I wanted to share with you. It's called The Many Ways Society Makes a Man. So I very much so disagree with a lot of the things the National Geographic has said and done about its kind of gender studies and the gender revolution. But I thought that this article was pretty fantastic in looking at how different things are going on around the world on that subject. Guys, thank you so much for sending in all these questions. And you can send these in at any time. 
Okay. So again, the guys that sent these in, thank you so, so very much for sending these in. And the, these guys text these to me. They put them on uh, Facebook. They put them on Instagram and they emailed them to me. I've got a lot of different questions in a lot of different ways. So if you have any questions that you want me to answer on future podcasts, because I'm probably going to do a Q&A podcast every five or 10 episodes or so, just go ahead and email them to me. That's probably the best way to do it. So just info at undaunted.life, info at undaunted.life, and we'll try to get your questions answered. Okay. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play to this podcast and refer your friends to listen and share on social media. If you use the hashtag UndauntedLife, we will definitely find you. If we deserve a five-star review for this podcast, please leave us one. As the ratings grow, so will the reach of this podcast, okay? You can visit our website at www.undaunted.life, and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at UndauntedLife, and on Facebook.com backslash UndauntedLife. You can check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search UndauntedLife under plans. We also want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music library for our content. The intro-outro track on this podcast is their song King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links to all this are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. 